Hi friends, thanks for listening in to another episode of Weathering Coronavirus Updates and Hope. I'm afraid that today's updates are not all that encouraging, but still necessary. So I tried to make the hope a little extra hopeful at the end. Today is Wednesday, April the 8th. And the reason I point that out is because, I don't know about you, I'm having a little bit of a difficult time remembering which day of the week it is. So this morning, I looked at my calendar and I put my finger on Wednesday, April the 8th and said, oh, it's hump day. (laughs) Adjusting to being at home full time is a bit of a challenge. And there are millions of Americans across this great nation who are making that adjustment right now. I put a lot of recommendations on how to be successful with that in the episodes that I did on working remotely or telecommuting, and I would recommend that people go back and give those a listen if they haven't. But that said, here are a couple of tips for you. Get up every day like you're going to the office. Take a shower, put on some decent clothes, and step outside into the sunshine. A short, brisk walk or something to start the day so that you will not get into the drudgery of the lethargy of doing the same things day after day without any changes or markers during the day to help you to identify one versus another. It's pretty important. Don't sit there and work in your pajamas, okay? Get up and make every day intentional and you'll be much more successful. Okay, how about news and the numbers? Well, the facts matter. Knowledge is power, and I've been saying from the beginning that this will have to get much worse before it gets better. I think today we're beginning to see some of the worse, and maybe that's a good sign. Sometimes things do have to get worse before they can heal. We should not be surprised by the following, but I would also like to remind all of us that the U.S. has done more than twice the testing of any other nation on the planet, with over 2 million tests completed. That's good news, but we need to be doing 330 million tests or more. But since we have done twice as many tests as any other nation on the planet, it does drive up our case numbers. Also, we're the third most populous nation on the planet, so we should anticipate that we may have more cases and therefore more deaths than most other smaller nations, but with a low percent fatality rate. And I want to stress that, a low percent fatality rate. I still believe that in the end, the United States fatality rate is going to be one of the best on the planet. We still have no clue how many people have had COVID-19 and recovered and have never been identified or tested. We hear a lot of worst case news out of context. That said, let's hear some of the bad news. The 24-hour death toll from the novel coronavirus surpassed 1,850 in the United States on Tuesday. This is from the Washington Post. A record for any country in a single day. Bummer. That's not a record that I wanted us to claim. But here we are. The grim figure emerged as Wuhan, the Chinese city where the deadly outbreak first emerged, reopened after nearly 11 weeks of lockdown. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, More deaths in the United States in a single day than have been recorded anywhere. But at the same time, Wuhan is leaving their lockdown after 11 weeks. It took 11 weeks in Wuhan. How long will it take for the United States? Still yet to be seen. There's really no surprise here about this bad news, but here is some context. 
In the same day, only 2% of identified cases were serious or critical. That's in the United States. And remember that only the highest risk, most serious cases are being tested at all. So 2% of the highest risk, worst cases that got tested are considered serious or critical. We don't know what the percentages of serious or critical cases out of all cases might be because the vast majority of cases are not even identified. 2% is a small number. I'm just trying to point out that 2% of the bad ones are considered serious or critical. That's why we need more testing. The point is, it's not as serious as the news might have us to think. And I don't want to in any way um, reduce the impact that these deaths are having on families and loved ones. I'm just trying to get people to understand not everybody is dying. It is a serious illness, but most people live and it's going to be okay. We're going to see a lot more bad news, especially out of New York before this is over. And speaking of New York, 49% of the U.S. deaths yesterday were in either New York or New Jersey. New York City and the surrounding metropolis are having it rough, so send some love that direction. But also realize that this one metropolitan area has nearly half of the cases of the entire nation. The rest of the entire nation has much, much better statistics. How about cases per million people in the various states? Maybe this will tell us a little bit. This is from worldometers.info, which is one of the sources that I use for the numbers that I have found helpful. Though, if you go there, I have to say, if you go there, you have to be very careful because the numbers are extremely skewed, especially when they start talking about percent of people that died and, and that sort of thing. You have to really be careful about how you interpret the numbers to get any meaning out of them. But at least the numbers appear to be extremely accurate when it comes to raw numbers. Okay, New York. Total cases per 1 million population. And this is the hot spot. 7,258. And I'm going to start rounding these just for simplicity. But 7,200 in New York per 1 million have identified cases. That's the biggest number in the United States, obviously. It is the epicenter of the pandemic crisis in the United States. New Jersey is close behind with 5,000 cases per 1 million in population. That's because New Jersey and New York are sharing the same metropolitan area, so it's really the same outbreak. Louisiana, it's also struggling. 3,492, so about 3,500 cases per 1 million. Massachusetts, 2,000. Connecticut, 2,000. Michigan, 2,000. District of Columbia, 1,700. Washington, 1,100, about 1,200. Pennsylvania, closer to 1,200. Rhode Island, 1,200. Illinois, 1,000. Colorado, 1,000. If I did not call out your state, that's because you have fewer than 1,000 cases per million. 1,000 cases per million in population means one out of 1,000, right? So fewer than one out of 1,000. So the testing is revealing that in the United States as a whole, about one out of 1,000 people has been identified to have coronavirus. And by the way, of the people tested, it looks like maybe about a quarter to a third of them are testing positive. So we have a lot more testing to do, and as that testing continues, we will see that one out of a thousand become a, a scarier number, maybe. But the good news is it will also illustrate that the vast, vast majority of people that have coronavirus are not having a serious case, and certainly 
not a deadly case. Again, I have to assert that knowledge is power. It's important to know what's going on. We just need to do it in the right context so that we have a balanced understanding of this epidemic. From the Washington Post again, the World Trade Organization said it expects the pandemic to cause global trade to fall 13 to 32 percent in 2020 from last year and that the impact will likely be more severe than that of the 2008 financial crisis. So the parallel concern to the coronavirus illnesses is, of course, the economic impacts of the virus and the extreme social distancing. No surprises here. It's so much better to have some information than to be speculating about how bad this will be. So the World Trade Organization says 13 to 32% reduction in global trade. We still don't know the extent of economic impacts, but at least some numbers are starting to surface, which I think is good news. Additionally, while Americans have not yet received their stimulus checks, President Trump is already starting to propose a second round of checks to follow the first, and that's from USA Today. From Forbes.com, the checks from the Treasury and the IRS probably start going out, I think this week, perhaps early next. That's from Larry Kudlow, the director of the U.S. Economic Council. So those checks are on the way. The checks in the mail. You've heard that before. Well, this week or the next. That's good news, too. Now for my take on the stimulus checks. I'm trying to be realistic. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but I think this is worthy of some discussion. The stimulus checks may feel a little bit like a token amount of what's really needed to many who've lost their jobs or are having other economic challenges because of this. I think the intent is to keep the economic wheels of the nation turning. When people spend their stimulus checks, it will keep revenue streams flowing, which keeps businesses going, which reduces potential unemployment. So your check was never intended to replace your job. It was intended to support people in a time of need and to prop up the economy. Now keep in mind that money has to come from somewhere. So here's a dose of reality. The simplest of economic principles tells us that nations have never successfully printed money for the masses without longer term consequences. These stimulus packages are a bridge over some troubled waters, but we're also borrowing from the economic future of the United States and of the planet. Is it necessary? I think so, but not without the consequences. What we need is for people to innovate and create jobs and keep current jobs going. Economic productivity, even in troubled times, is the short and long-term real solution. The stimulus checks, I think they're necessary. We want to keep the economy going. We want to keep people thinking positively about economic outlooks. But just realize... For those of you who haven't studied economics at all, money doesn't grow on trees, it still doesn't, and when the U.S. or any nation borrows trillions of dollars, then there will be long-term economic impacts. Okay, enough of the updates. There was other news today, but a lot of it just wasn't worth reading. Actually, mainstream media is struggling right now to find new impactful news about coronavirus, which is good. That means we're weathering the storm. We're not just seeing it on the horizon now. We're weathering it, and that, that's good. Someday soon we'll be able to start reporting a decline in the number of cases, and we're going to be able to start reporting that things are getting so much better. Let's look forward to that. But during this crisis, how are you holding up? 
It's time for a checkup from the neck up, as Zig Ziglar used to say. We're kind of in the throes of the storm now, so how are you holding up? What about your emotions? What do we do with them? Are you feeling excited about what today holds? Are you feeling nervous or fearful? Melancholy, perhaps? Happy? Maybe you feel purposeful or agitated or at peace? Here's the crazy thing about emotions. We all have them. We can create them, but not every emotion is created, and we cannot deny them. They can motivate us to greatness, or they can drag us into the pits of hell. To have emotions is to be human. Now, I keep hearing a lot of the same words used to describe what the world's going through right now with this coronavirus. They all seem to be synonyms for bizarre, strange, uncertain, unprecedented, weird, or maybe even crazy. The bottom line is that there are so many unknowns that all of humanity seems to be waiting with the common breath held and eyes peeled to see what will come next. When will I go back to work? When will the kids go back to school? Will the summer sports programs get to happen? Will I get a new job? When can I go to the grocery again without people dancing around each other in suspicious six-foot circles? How will we pay the bills? What will happen to the economy? Will I catch it? Will I survive it? Will those I love be okay? Unknowns. And to be human is to fear the unknown. Let me repeat that. To be human is to fear the unknown. But there's something else amazing about what it is to be human. We bravely go where none have gone before. Isn't that a wacky paradox? In those horror films, we all want to shout, No, no, don't go in there! But the hero or the heroine always does go in there. And why did you pay to watch that movie in the first place? We're human. That is amazing. We fear the unknown and we are fascinated by the unknown. We have to know. We have to go. We explore jungles, we sail to strange new lands, we climb mountains, and we build rockets to take us to the stars. We do these things because we fear the unknown, and we have to overcome those fears. You are amazing. Right now, in this time of crisis, when the world is holding its breath, right now, when we are all waiting for answers, you are amazing. You are resilient. You are curious, and you are powerful. To be human is to have the greatest potential of any creature in the known universe. Now, as an aside, I use the term creature purposefully. It implies created, whether you believe that you're the result of millions of years of mistakes in the genetic transcription, or you believe that you are intelligently designed, you are created along with all other creatures by some process that is so far beyond even what the imagination can perceive. Try imagining it, just for a moment. What you have just imagined is many orders of magnitude, too simple to describe how you came to be. You are an amazingly miraculous being full of power and potential. Do you know what potential is? It's stored energy. It's the direct opposite of entropy. Entropy is a tendency of everything to resort to a lower energy state. So what does that mean? It means that rocks roll downhill, sticks burn into ash. Your bedroom gets cluttered and dusty because it takes more energy to keep it nice than to let it deteriorate into chaos. But you are not entropy. You are stored energy, 
amazing huge amounts of stored energy with nearly limitless potential and unfathomable complexity. Let's pause for a moment and remember the fear part. We fear the unknown. Now go back to episode 12. It was the remedy for fear. Go back and listen to that one if you've not already heard it, as it addresses fear specifically. But briefly, I would like to address all emotion. Emotion is wonderful, and it's a huge part of the human design that makes us so amazing. But we do need to make emotion a motive force, emotion, motive force, for good in our lives rather than a crippling or overwhelming force. A motive force for good in our lives. I first heard this advice from a book entitled Tuesdays with Maury. Maury was dying and the author of the book visited Maury on Tuesdays. They developed an amazing friendship, but more than that, they explored what it means to be human and alive from the perspective of Maury, who was approaching the end of his season of life here. This is what Maury said. When he was afraid or feeling sad, he would pause and feel the emotion. After feeling it fully, he would move on knowing that the emotion would not last forever. He would feel happy or peaceful or some other emotion soon enough too. Good advice, that. Observe the emotion. Acknowledge the emotion. Experience it. No need to figure out why or to fix it. Rather, just experience it for a little while Then take a deep breath and move forward into that great next thing that you do. Granted, sometimes we humans develop destructive habits that cause us unnecessary negative emotions. Those habits do need to be sorted out with a professional. But most of the time, we benefit greatly by just observing our own feelings and then moving on to the next thing. Redirect our focus to the purpose of the moment or of the day. Now, back to entropy and potential. Humans are creative and powerful. We explore the unknown and innovate and create and improvise and execute and make things happen. Humans organize and put energy into systems to create greater order and complexity, achieving wonderful results. You are a force to be reckoned with. You are capable of so much. You certainly don't have to be a Tesla or an Einstein or maybe an Edison to be a creative force. You are capable of so much. All you need to do is to choose a purpose, create a plan, and start moving forward toward what you want to achieve. You will succeed if you do not give up. You can face the setbacks as wise teachers, learn from mistakes, continue to reverse entropy, put your energy and your brilliant ideas and your organization into your chosen purpose. That is what it means to be human. During this COVID-19 crisis, try this. We are feeling shut down, locked down, held back. No need to feel that way. Find a purpose that you value and go for it. Humans are overcomers. We always have constraints. Extreme social distancing is not an end to your dreams. It's only a constraint. It's part of the puzzle to solve. 
just like gravity was for the Wright brothers or the suffocating deeps of the oceans were for Jacques Cousteau. Just constraints, parameters to be addressed. We don't know how long extreme social distancing will last. We know it's worthwhile. So adopt it as one of the constraints and keep chasing a purpose. Don't think of this as locked down or on hold. No, it's only another pothole in the road of your journey. So go for it. You are an amazing amount of potential. You are a warehouse full of stored energy and creativity. What an incredible resource. So what will you do with all that potential during this season of coronavirus constraints? Started today's episode with a Zig Ziglar quote, check up from the neck up. But here are some more that you may resonate with today. First, Zig Ziglar says, You can get everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Here's another one. People often say that motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. Or how about this one? You don't have to be great at something to start, but you do have to start to be great at something. Oh, I like this one too. He always knew how to turn a phrase. Your attitude, not your aptitude, will determine your altitude. (laughs) That's so true. Anybody can win. They just have to have the right attitude and go for it and not stop trying. Remember that failure is an event, not a person. I like that one too. Failure is an event, not a person. You were born to win, but to be a winner, you must plan to win, prepare to win, and expect to win. And here's another one. A goal properly set is halfway reached. And I don't know the source of this one, I apologize, but a job once begun is half done. How true is that? Getting started is the hardest part of anything. So find your purpose for the moment or your purpose for the day or your purpose for the next 10 years, set some goals, and get started. Why not? And the last one from Zig Ziglar today, what you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. Absolutely. I think we should end with that one. I'm going to read it one more time. What you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. Isn't that really what it's about? It's really about celebrating what it means to be human and becoming all that you can be by chasing those dreams. And I encourage you today, during this coronavirus lockdown, that you chase your dreams. You find your purpose and you go for it. Please do rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us in the search results. Also, subscribe so you don't miss a show. And tell your friends that there is a source of context and hope right now in this storm. My name is Kurt Linville, and today's show is produced by Caleb Linville. Until the next episode, be safe out there.